And so there would be readers in the church. You didn't come to church with a copy of your Bible. No believer in the first century could imagine what you have. And they would not understand why you don't carry it with you on Sunday morning. They would be blown away. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. Today we begin the next to last message in our series on the book of Revelation. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter 22 warn of the consequences of adding to or subtracting from Holy Scripture. And in a message entitled, God's Final Warning, Pastor Brogy will spend some time today highlighting the inerrancy of Scripture and how we know the Bible is true. Take God's Word with you this morning and turn to the very last chapter of the book of the Revelation. It's the last book, the last chapter. If you are here for the first time, we've been working our way chapter by chapter through this great book. It's called, in the opening verse, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the official title of this book. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ given to the Apostle John. Now, this for me has been a great experience to work through this magnificent book, especially these last two chapters as we've been studying the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the place that someday God's people will go. We've been in this book almost three years, but let me just say next week's sermon, you can see we're not done today. We have two more verses. It may very well be the most important sermon out of the whole book that I've preached. So don't miss it. Don't get messed up by the time change. Be here next week. And I'm not sure I'll have that many slides next week. So make sure you bring a Bible. It will be absolutely critical. Now as you're finding the text of Scripture, ask yourself this question. Are the 66 books of the Bible all that we need? Or do we need something else? Some vision, some dream, some direct word from God, some sequel to the 66 books we have? Or do we have a completed, sufficient revelation? When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said in Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us that we are of, we are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The foundation for Christ's church was laid by two early New Testament offices called apostles and prophets. There are no more prophets or apostles today. That's not to say that the gift of preaching doesn't still exist or that their gift of apostleship that focuses in planting new churches doesn't exist. But the office of apostle and prophet were foundational New Testament offices, and they laid the foundation through the preaching of the foundation himself, Christ Jesus, giving us the New Testament church. And so Paul is reminding us, like he reminds the Corinthians, that God, through the foundation, laid through the apostles, has given us a completed book. If you remember Jude, which is that short little book right before the Revelation, Jude speaks of the apostles' doctrine that has been delivered once for all. And so he says we are to contend earnestly for the faith, not for faith, but for the faith. It's articular. 
what we call the body of truth known as the Bible. We are to contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, for the last 2,000 years, we have not been waiting for another word from God. We have a completed word from God. And God wants us to understand that the provision of the Scriptures, called here the foundation, given through the preaching of the foundation, Christ Jesus himself is all that we need, and we don't need anything else. So here's John. He is the very last living apostle, and he writes the very last God-breathed book of Scripture. He puts down, as it were, the very final block there in the foundation. And since the book of Revelation deals with the entire sweep of history from the close of the apostolic age all the way into eternity future, to alter or to add to it would be to change what God has given. So the revelation, if you remember, starts with seven churches that were in existence during John's lifetime. And he preaches and reveals to them God's plan all the way into eternity future. So if anyone today writes today something they call the Word of God, they are intruding into the realm of coverage that starts with the foundation of the church, Christ, all the way into eternity future. The Bible is concluded with the book of Revelation. And so John is about to deliver a warning and it's to would-be prophets, it's to cultists, but it's also to believers to be alert, to watch, to be careful. It's one of the roles of an elder. He is to guard the church. He is to protect the church. Why? Because people sneak in unaware, unnoticed. It's going to happen. They will come from amongst yourselves, Paul will say to the Ephesian elders, so you need to guard the church. And so he is giving us a warning about the divine authority of Scripture and how it is not to be tampered with. Now today, we're going to look in detail at two verses of Scripture, verses 18 and 19. But to get a flavor for the context, I want us to begin reading in verse 14. Follow along in your Bible. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Now, we've covered a lot of territory here in the Revelation. We've traveled from seven churches in the first century all the way through the second coming of Christ, through his millennial reign upon the earth, through the great white throne judgment, to the creation of a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem that will someday serve as its capital. Now, last time, if you were here, we examined the final invitation found in all of the Bible, an invitation for the lost person to come to Jesus. Well, today we find the final warning found in the Scripture. 
And it's not just for the self-proclaimed prophet, but also for the church to refuse anyone that would change the authority and the finality of this book. And so the warning is found here in verses 18 and 19, and it's a very serious warning. And the last apostle writing the last book of the Bible and the timeline of inspired scripture is reminding us that the Bible is a completed, closed book. Don't tamper with it. That's the warning label written here at the end. Now, if you're using your note-taking outline, I want you to see that is it a very serious thing to tamper with God's Word. And so first, I want us to consider the warning of adding to God's Word, the warning of adding to His words. We read now in verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. I think it's important, and I think it's significant that the Bible ends with this affirmation of its truthfulness. And so if you remember, to bring it into the immediate context, look up in verse 6 there on the page of your Bible, 22 verse 6, and he, this angel of God, said to me, John, these words are faithful and true. This is the angel who in verse 1 gave him an interior tour of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city. He showed him the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. And it's a place that someday God's people will go, and when your loved ones have died, they are already in this place. And so this angel, who's been revealing the new Jerusalem to John, one of the angels who had one of the seven bowls of wrath, continues to speak to him, and he reminds him that what he has delivered is both faithful and true. In other words, this is not too good to be true. This word is faithful and true. And so throughout the Revelation, more than any other book in all of the Holy Scripture, we are admonished to study and obey it because these words are faithful and true. So here in verse 6 of this chapter, the angel proceeds why these words are faithful and true. You don't want to miss this because this is critical to what the argument here is in verses 18 and 19. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. So God's angel tells us that the Lord who inspired the spirits of the prophets, that is, the writers of the Old Testament, has now used his angel to give him this message. Now, how did God inspire the spirits of the prophets? Well, he's referring to that human spirit that was moved along by the Holy Spirit of God. And so in 2 Peter chapter 1, the apostle Peter says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, if you were to pull up a computer concordance, you would discover that some 3,800 times it either says, God says, or thus saith the Lord. Thousands of times the Bible affirms its own inspiration which, of course, is not proof in and of itself that it is inspired. If you say, well, the Bible's inspired because it claims to be inspired, the skeptic will say that's a circular argument. However, if the Scripture did not say it was inspired, then you would have a real problem on your hand. 
In Revelation 21.6, like 2 Peter 1, are two critically important texts of Scripture that tells us that the Scripture was not written by men alone, but men who were moved by the Spirit of God in their spirits. Moved by the Holy Spirit, they are, in the words of the Apostle Paul, what they are writing is the God-breathed words of Scripture. God, out of his mouth, gave us his holy word. And so throughout the word of God, a prophet will often say, the mouth of the Lord has spoken, and rightly so, because the scripture is the God-breathed breath of God put on paper. These are not the thoughts and ideas of men. This is the word of God. And since God is infallible, the Bible is infallible, and since God cannot err, neither can the scriptures. This is why Peter, in his first epistle, refers to the Bible as true, as the pure, unadulterated word of God, because they were men moved by the Spirit, spoke from God. And so without stammer or stutter, I can say that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, internal word of God without a single error in it, because they were men moved. And he uses here, interestingly, a nautical term in the Greek New Testament. It described the moving of wind into the sails of a ship. And so Peter knew that these Old Testament prophets that he's describing had their sails up, that they were being moved along by the Spirit of God. Just as wind would move a sailboat, so these men were being moved by God. It's a beautiful picture of inspiration. And so here in verse 6, the angel is relating the same truth. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. This angel from God is telling the apostle John that while he is not a prophet, he is being used by God to give this message, and the message he is giving is no less faithful, no less true, no less inspired by God. And so Paul reminds us in Galatians that the law was mediated through angels. And in this case, God is mediating the word from Christ to the angel here to the apostle John. He is saying that what I am giving you is just as inspired as God who moved upon these prophets in their spirits to give us the Tanakh. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues written in this book. And so the warning here given in both verses 18 and 19 is based on the fact that the message that is given is the very breath and word of God itself. These words are faithful and true. And so we studied some weeks back that the prophecy is not to be sealed up. It is to be proclaimed. It is to be taught. Now, don't forget who is speaking the words of verse 18. We know it's the Lord Jesus. Look back at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. That speaks of his divine human person. We studied that last time. He is the root of David in that he precedes David, and yet he is the descendant of David. He is the eternal I am who took on our humanity. He is the bright morning star. So Jesus is speaking in verse 16. Then in verse 17, we saw the spirit and the bride speak. 
And now again in verse 18, Jesus once again pulls into the conversation. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. We know that this is the Lord Jesus speaking because of what we read in verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Now, this is kind of interesting to think about because throughout the revelation, the Lord Jesus has sent his angel to testify. But now because of the seriousness of the warning, Jesus does so in person. If you're the head of a corporation or a company or maybe even the senior pastor of a church, there are times when you don't want anyone else to say it. It needs to come from you, the point man that God placed over the church with those elders. Why? Because you don't want it to be miscommunicated. This is the chief shepherd of the church, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what he is about to say is so critically important, he doesn't even want to say it through his angel because he wants to underscore the importance of what is going to be said. Now, let me say that the Scripture in John's day was like a treasure they treasured the scripture, they guarded it, they protected it, they copied it like we have guarded and protected the Declaration of Independence and might copy it in turn. And so I raise that to say that some people think that the threat here, the warning here, is against the copyists. That is, someone who would copy this book of scripture, that they are not to copy it incorrectly or they come under a serious plague. Now, let me just say parenthetically, all of you have heard the critics say, well, you Christians say the Bible is the Word of God, but it has been translated so many different times, copied over centuries, that what you have today can no longer be trusted. It is no longer God's infallible Word. Now, while it is true we do not have the original manuscripts because it's an ancient book and paper will not last that long, we can say that the authenticity of the Bible has been protected by God himself. And we know that not only through the copies of Scripture that has been made, but through writers outside of Holy Scripture who recorded Scripture. For instance, through the church fathers alone, every single verse, with the exception of 11, can be reproduced through the writings of the church fathers. And when you see them quote various sections of Scripture and you look at the manuscripts we have, we see there's a beautiful match. Every single verse, and that does not challenge us because this is what God promised. Remember in Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times, you, O Lord, will keep them. God promised to preserve and to protect his word. Now, sometimes people don't want to believe that the Bible is reliable because they don't like the implications of the scripture if it is reliable. And so I was in a physician's office this week, and he was cutting on me, and and he began to debate with me over the reliability of Scripture. You know that Noah's Ark thing? He can't be trusted, and therefore the Bible can't be trusted. Now, there's probably a backstory to that, and we didn't get that far. But I want to tell you, my friend, people attack the Bible because they don't want to believe in its reliability. But listen, there was such a careful process that was done by scribes in the copying of Scripture. For instance, when they made Old Testament books and New Testament books, they had to use clean animal skins. 
In fact, they had to use even a clean animal skin to bind the manuscripts. Each column could have no less than 48 lines and no more than 60 lines. The ink they used was of a particular recipe, and when a scribe copied the scripture, he had to verbalize each and every word before he wrote it down. And then they would take the copy of scripture, and they would count all the letters, and they would find the middle word and the middle letter and the middle paragraph, and if the middle paragraph and the middle sentence and the middle word and the middle letter did not match in the copy, then they would start all over again. In fact, they revered the scripture so much they wouldn't even destroy it. They wouldn't throw it away. They would either bury it in a Jewish cemetery. They would store it in what's called a geneza, uh, which is a Hebrew word that literally means a hiding place. And then those scriptures that were the final clean copies, they kept in a very sacred place. In fact, today, the Jewish people continue to revere this scripture. So here I was at the Western Wall, and I took this picture. It's called an ark, and these are just some Orthodox Jews, and they rolled out that particular wooden structure. It's called an ark where they kept the scripture. And if you're facing the wall and you went left, you'd go into a tunnel, and you're up against this wall that goes all the way back to the time of Christ. And they have all these arks where the scripture is kept because it is revealed. So we're not surprised because the scriptures have always been revered as a treasure that God has protected them. So in 1947, a shepherd boy was out in the desert and he came across this cave. I'm sure as he was herding sheep, he wanted to entertain himself. The days were long. And so he was throwing some rocks and seeing if he could get it in the hole of this, which is called cave number one. And on the occasion, the rock went in and he heard something break. And he went into that cave and he found these pots. And in this particular cave, cave number one, they found an entire copy of the book of Isaiah. Now, this is in a place called Qumram. It's down by the Dead Sea. It's a very dry and arid section of Israel. It's hot. It's dry. But God used that to preserve his word. And so when they found this copy, and by the way, they found fragments or portions of every single book of the Old Testament with the exception of Esther. And maybe that is yet to be found because they are still discovering fragments here and there. But when they found the completed copy of the book of Isaiah, remember prior to this, they had a copy that was 900 years after Christ, 900 AD produced by the Masoretes. Now they have a copy of scripture that is at least 100 years before Christ, a thousand year difference. And when they analyze every single word and every single letter in the two copies, the 900 AD and the 100 BC copy, there was only a difference in 17 letters. And the changes were stylistic insertions like a conjunction or the spelling of a word that had changed. And so in English, in America, we used to spell the word Savior, S-A-V-I-O-U-R, like the Brits still do. Today, we spell it S-A-V-I-O-R. And so what it, did it do? It authenticated how God's word has been protected. And so what I'm trying to say is that this warning that John is giving in the first century clearly is not to the copyists, 
because that would not apply in that culture, much less the context itself makes it very clear that that's not what is in view. Look again at verse 18. I testify to everyone who hears. Circle the word hear. Now remember, this is pre-printing press. And so there would be readers in the church. You didn't come to church with a copy of your Bible. No believer in the first century could imagine what you have. And they would not understand why you don't carry it with you on Sunday morning. They would be blown away to have a copy in their lap of all 66 books. But what he is doing, remember, this book is being written to seven different churches. And he recognizes that there will be people who will come into the church, potentially false teachers, who could alter the book of Revelation. By the time he writes the Revelation, and Jesus sends seven epistles or letters to seven different churches, each epistle is authored by Jesus himself, he is already admonishing them of false teachers who'd come into the church. So if you remember to the church at Pergamum, an otherwise healthy church, Jesus said, so you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And even as great as the church at Pergamum was, there were still some things that needed to be corrected and it concerned the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans because they were false teachers. Now, teaching or doctrine is important. Today, people say, well, I don't want to learn doctrine. Doctrine is emblematic of who God is. Forty-five times in the New Testament, we are exhorted to learn sound doctrine. You say, well, doctrine just divides. Yes, it does. Truth from error, true believers from false believers. Now, sometimes when people rebel against sound doctrine, the reason they are rebelling is for the simple reason is that they want to justify their own wicked behavior. They don't want to believe in a certain way because they want to behave in a certain way. And so they find a church or a teacher that will make them feel better and tell them what they want to hear. But what we teach ourselves and what we teach our children and grandchildren and those that God has entrusted us to disciple is very, very important. And so Christ knows that if you allow the truth to be mixed with error, then it will destroy the testimony of the church. And so Jesus, once again, is speaking about the importance of not perverting the book of Revelation. That's what's in view here. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. What book? The book of the Revelation. Now, both Christians and non-Christians, believers and unbelievers, need to hear this admonishment. Listen. There are cults today that have new revelation. Every single cult is built on some revelation, some vision, some extra writing, some extra book that goes beyond the 66 books of the Bible. And so Joseph Smith tells us, and the Mormons tell us in their commercials of another testament of the quote-unquote 67th book of the Bible. And when you, as a believer, come and you say, well, now, wait a minute. God said in the Revelation, if anyone adds to these, he will add to the plagues which are written in this book. And they say, well, that just applies to the book of Revelation. The Apostle Peter, in his second letter, talks about unlearned people who distort the Scriptures to their own destruction. God's Word is without error, 
And when a statement is made, such as the one forbidding adding or subtracting from Scripture, the learned student is wise to exegete the passage within its immediate context and within the context of the rest of Scripture. Tomorrow, when we continue our study entitled God's Final Warning, Pastor Brogy will shed further light on how this passage has to be taken at face value and that it truly is talking about the addition or subtraction from any part of the Bible. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. And for a CD or DVD, call 877-787-7478 and request program REV72. Join us again tomorrow as we continue God's final warning and search the Scriptures.